It's Friday, November the 27th, 2020, and welcome to Asia Pacific Today. I'm Mike Ryan. Festival is a fabulous restaurant and bar in New York, but why did they open smack bang in the middle of COVID-19? Festival's owner, Tyler Hollinger, joins us shortly. Just how has Donald Trump changed the world? A new report is out called, wait for it, How Donald Trump Changed the World. We'll hear from its editor, Professor Harsh V. Pant, later on in the program. And Kirk Clyde has the wrap-up on politics from a democratic point of view. Tyler Hollinger is an owner and event producer for New York City's only farm-to-bar cocktail. It's called Festival. He is also the owner and creative director of High Life Productions, plus he's an actor, comedian and filmmaker. Tyler, first of all, welcome. And you're in my favourite city on the entire planet. How does it feel to be that lucky? Well, I, I'm just glad that we're still somebody's favorite city. <laughs> New York, New York's catching a rough one right now. Look, festival, um, you really opened at probably the uh, worst time imaginable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The food and cocktails on the menu sound delicious and uplifting, but I'm just wondering about. <laughs> I, I, and I understand that you go through a process to open, but. When COVID happened, couldn't you have put it, put it back maybe a few months or did you say, no, we're going to do this, we're going to get through this? Well, I mean, you know, a lot of these decisions were made well in advance of COVID. Um, you know, we signed the lease like a year ago today. So there were certain, certain legal obligations that were in place with the landlord, with our purveyors, with a lot of different parties where, you know, we had a confidence in not only myself and the people behind us, the people behind the scenes, the talented people who are part of Festival really are the are the stars of the operation here. I'm just the one driving the ship. Everybody else from the mixologists to the chefs to the front of house to the back of house to our dishwashers are really the people who are doing the great work here. And mm. it's a testament because not only has the neighborhood supported us, but New York City has supported us because this is this is something true. It's something of value. It's something of substance. We are providing a very high level of food and beverage, not just in the way you would think from a culinary standpoint, but from a health standpoint as well. Everything we serve here is local farmed. It's local sourced. We support local purveyors. People are waving at me on the street. <laughs> local local people who are your local farmers. This is wholesome, organic, fresh, healthy ingredients that we're serving. And healthy stuff is exactly what everybody needs right now. And nobody's talking about that. What inspired you to do this? Was there a market for this sort of um, restaurant and bar or did you, after a few too many cocktails one evening with the wife, think, "Look, my life is really good right now. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to put a rocket up my backside and make sure that I really live." Well, you know, the, uh, the really the impetus is this. I, you know, we produce a, a festival called Secret Summer, and it's a thousand-person cocktail <clears throat> festival that happens every year in New York City. It's been going on for seven years now, and. Every year it's sold out. A thousand people come. We serve the freshest cocktails on the planet. There's music, art, food, 
games, dance. It's it's a whole awesome day of fun, and we've really built quite the following because of that. Mm. So we transitioned that model into a brick and mortar that you can have year round whenever you want from a culinary perspective. That's really the impetus behind all of this, and that's really really what started everything. So what's wrong? Let me tell, ask you this: What's wrong with Mayor Bill De Blasio and Governor Cuomo? They've made it, though, really hard for business, and now you have to shut down at 10 o'clock for New Yorkers, 10 p.m. Well, it's just the start of the evening. So you you have this beautiful restaurant. You're riding on the back of this festival. You've you've called it festival. You're going to have great cocktails, you know, a bit of New York living at its finest. And then we have the party poopers, Cuomo and de Blasio. But, I mean... You know, what are they what are they on about? Well, I you know, I think the idea is here is that, you know, they're worried that too much extravagant partying leads to COVID, which I certainly haven't seen that data happen. I don't I don't know why all of this is related to alcohol to begin with. Apparently de Blasio and Cuomo think alcohol gives you COVID, which that's a crazy bag <laughs> of nonsense. After ten o'clock, COVID and alcohol it it's just, insane. It's like well, it's, it's insane too because they're they're taking these policies and they're blanketing blanketing them to all businesses. Mm. Don't get me started on on gyms. The one place where you go to keep your body healthy, to keep your immune system strong, mm. they're trying to shut down. And what gym is crowded at ten o'clock? That's insane. Mm. Secondly. If you limit the capacity of people to dine at 10 o'clock, then all those people who wanted to come later are just going to come an hour early. So you're putting all those people on top of all the people who are already there during that normal course of the evening, and you've created an even worse crowding situation. So it's even harder for the business owners to keep everyone six feet apart, to spread it all out, to keep everybody outside in the middle of winter, which is doubly difficult. But here's the thing with governments. I mean, uh, Dave Rubin once said, governments are great at coming up with a solution for the problem that they've created in the first place. Now, uh, do you want to hear Do you want to hear something insane? De Blasio was like, oh, I got the solution. I'll just let everybody have propane heaters on their restaurant sidewalks. Mm-hmm. So he signs this legislation, this executive order. I look like a hero. I've solved the problem of winter, except... The FDNY doesn't agree with it. So in New York City, to have a propane heater, it has to be 10 feet from the building, and it has to be 5 feet from the building and 10 feet from the street. Well, the sidewalks are only 12 feet wide. Look, New York's a city of amazing communities, block by block by block. Did de Blasio and Cuomo think by creating fear and panic New Yorkers would start to dob in their neighbours in by calling three one one, which is the "I'm going to dob in on you" line. I don't know. I, originally, three one one was like if you see a crime happening, mm. or or if there's a homeless issue, uh, you know, or if there's like a safety issue, like like something's hanging from a scaffolding, call three one one. 
Now it's become the tattletale line, and mm. anyone who has a problem with any other New Yorker calls 311. So individuals can call 311 on businesses, and then the government will show up. Mm. And it's really funny because they come on a regular basis here, like every day, just because people don't like Tucker Carlson or people don't like me. Or they and like they, your cocktails, though. Maybe they like the cocktails. Maybe they do. And then they come, they show up, mm. and, I, and I talk to the government agents, and I say, I say, okay, who complained? Because I want to file a complaint on them. And they go, oh, well, it doesn't work that way. And I go, well, don't you see the hypocrisy in that? Mm. Do they care? No, they don't care. They don't care. In your neighborhood. They're just, the people who show up are just people who are just doing what they're told to do. And frankly, that's the worst part of everything, that nobody, nobody stands up and says this is wrong. Do you think that's the end game here is that governments now have worked out a way of getting you to do what they want you to do? I'm not going to speculate on on hypotheses. I just think that people are in love with power mm -hmm. more that more that, than they're in love with love. Mm -hmm. And if you accept love, if you love your neighbor, if you respect your fellow mm. person, you don't have this gigantic power grab. In your neighborhood, how many restaurants or bars have just gone? 75%. Wow. It's, it's, it's bleak. Will it's they bleak. come back? Will it's they really come bad. back? Do you think they'll ever come back? No. No, no they won't. Wow. We've they heard won't. much about the devastating impact of restrictions on New York restaurants and businesses. What about visitors? Are they coming back to the city or are they just petrified when I going near the Big Apple for a while? The Big Apple has a worm at the moment. You know, I don't know. It's, it's interesting because we get visitors from everywhere mm. and people come here. We're very busy here. We're lucky. We're so fortunate to be so busy here Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's difficult to even get a table at festival during those, those, those dates because Everyone appreciates so much what we're doing. And I think we're really starting to reach people. Mm. As someone who lives and works in uh, New York, tell us about how the city feels at the moment. You know, I don't know a single person who approves of what de Blasio and Cuomo are doing. I speak to a lot of people every day in the cafe. I'm here 9 a.m. till 11 p.m. And I speak to a lot of people. Nobody is, is happy with what the government is doing. So I don't understand how the government is able to keep getting away with this. What about in, in uh, speaking of uh, governments in Victoria, the Victorian government, you know, as I mentioned before, they locked down the city and it was locked down for about, you know, the Melbourne was locked down for about, you know, all of about five months. Um, but the guy that's running it, which is uh, Dan Andrews, his popularity it's about 70%. I mean, maybe de Blasio is actually thinking, hey, this looks pretty good in Australia. <laughs> we might try it ourselves. I don't know. I don't know a single person who really appreciates mm. that they're doing a good job. Everyone I know hates them. It's a mystery to me. Is this the same feeling throughout uh, New York or your neighbourhood, or is it just some of us radicals? Nope. No, I think that we're the majority feel this way mm. like i don't know a single person i haven't spoken to a single person who's like cuomo and de Blasio are really doing a great job they're not what support is available to your business from zero 
So there's none. Zero. There's none. There's no support from the state or the or the government. There's only fines. You know, the first piece of mail I I opened when when we opened our doors, the very first piece of mail was a tax bill for our liquor license for eight hundred and sixty five dollars. They're fining businesses in New York City for staff not wearing masks to the tune of $1,500. If we violate the fire department of New York's policy with the propane tanks, they can fine us $15,000. So then how do you focus on recovery and the future of your business? How do you move forward? We move forward because we have such a strong community. We have a strong base of individuals who don't care what Cuomo and de Blasio think. They come and support us because we are serving the best cocktails in New York City right now. Well, they look delicious, but I'm here. I'm I'm like a long way away. So and I really don't like virtual testing or taste testing. All right. So thank you. But New York, it's got this vibrancy, this life about it. The yeah. people are you know, straight down the line, but they're very warm. People, New Yorkers are very warm. Uh, yeah. Tell you how it is. Will that ever come back or is that gone? You know, what, what's, the, what's the story? No, it's, it's still here. It's still here. I mean, New Yorkers do the coolest shit on the planet. They do. And I've been, I've been to a lot of cities. Paris, very close second. Um, I, I want to go to Australia soon, very soon. I've never been. But, um, you know... New Yorkers are really fucking cool. They and, are. And, you know, we're resilient. Mm. We're survivors. This is the city of 9-11. This is the city of, you know, the financial crisis. Mm. New Yorkers are survivors. If you want to come to Australia, let me tell you two things. First of all, Australians don't move their lips when they talk, all right? We just talk. Uh, yeah. We're like a Jerry G doll, but I wonder where the hand is. Uh, the, 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 the second thing is our margaritas. What, what do you charge for a margarita? Just need to ask you that. I'll tell you what we charge for our margaritas here. What's a margarita worth? Well, um, it's a, that's a good question you ask, because not all margaritas are created Equal. Uh, exactly the same. Our margarita on the winter menu is actually called the vaccine. And it's a margarita <laughs> variation on a, uh, a penicillin, which is a, a classic drink uh, with uh, lemon, honey, and ginger. Oh. And so we have a lemon, honey, ginger margarita with sesame-washed verde mezcal, Casa Dragones Blanco, and, and, uh, and uh, turmeric. Wow. So it's a $15 margarita, but with any good vaccine, Multiple testing is required. <laughs> but see, your margarita is a bit too fancy for me. I mean, the standard margarita, you know, a bit of the that the the uh, triple sec and, and uh, some ice and tequila and squirt of lime. Here, this that thing in a fancy glass, by the way, a fancy glass in Australia, you're looking at about twenty two dollars. Wow. So wow. so uh, your your fifteen dollars for all the. Fancy bits. It's just yeah. it's sounding stunning. I'm, I'm my, my lips are getting dry thinking about it. <laughs> Look, where do you see the future for New York? Do you think you'll get out of it soon? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I see this wrapping up very soon. Um, a lot of cities in, in America are going through a second sort of lockdown phase. Um, the vaccine that they've come out with has a 90% uh, you know, 
effective rate, which is exceptional. It's it's amazing, and uh, I really think that's going to be happening very soon. Maybe the first of the year. Yeah, you know, uh, or or January twenty when Donald is Just go outside uh, out somebody needs. Yep, it's uh, it's an amazing uh, amazing city. Um, your politics are amazing. Um, who knows what's going to happen in the um, in the, uh, the in the next few months or few weeks or yep. few minutes? Anything might happen, but New York will never ever ever change. It's a city that just doesn't sleep. What do they say? The city with no pity. City with no pity. I like that. Thank you. Very Thanks much. so much for having me on the show. Professor Harshvi Pant is Director and Head of the Strategic Studies Program at the Observer Research Foundation in New Delhi. He holds a joint appointment with the Department of Defence Studies and King's India Institute as Professor of International Relations at King's College, London. He is also a non-resident fellow with the Wadwani Chair in US-India Policy Studies at the Centre for Strategic and International Studies in Washington, D.C. Professor Pant has been a visiting fellow at the Centre for the Advanced Study of India, University of Pennsylvania, a visiting scholar at the Centre for International Peace and Security Studies, McGill University, and an Emerging Leaders Fellow at the Australia-India Institute at the University of Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. Professor Pant's current research is focused on Asian security issues. Professor Pant writes regularly for various Indian and international media outlets, including the Japan Times, the Wall Street Journal, the National in the UAE, the Hindustan Times and the Telegraph. Professor Pant, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mike. You recently edited a report called How Donald Trump Changed the World. Now, that's a great title. What were some of the foreign policy uh, issues examined? Uh, Well, we looked at a range of issues because clearly, you know, as um, American elections and the results also tell us that while Mr. Trump might be uh, gone now for for a while at least, uh, uh, you know, we really have not seen the end of uh, what uh, is called or is being described as Trumpism. Uh, the elections were relatively more close, uh, were closer than we expected, many, many expected. And I think uh, the the ideas that he has brought forth uh, in some ways will linger on. And I and, and what we looked at were uh, were both domain specific issues, like, for example, what he has done to the multilateral order, what he has done to debates on global governance, as well as what he has done in his specific geographies. And I think we found that uh, in a lot of the cases, uh, perhaps uh, his rhetoric and his administration's approach did not quite match. And in some of the cases, uh, what we will find going forward that Mr. Biden, uh, despite uh, his having a very, very different world vision, would find it difficult to reverse what Mr. Trump has done. So uh, I think, for example, if you look at the Indo-Pacific, you know, where I think uh, you and I both are very interested, we are located uh, the idea that, uh, you know, Mr. Trump uh, uh, and the Trump administration is an extremely isolationist one would be very difficult to sustain. He managed or he pushed a very, very aggressive or, or an assertive Indo-Pacific vision. Uh, it was not simply related to China, although it was partly related to, uh, you know, the, the uh, so-called uh, 
conflict with China that is that has been emerging, but also in terms of its outreach to other countries, uh, countries like um, you know Australia, Japan, India, ASEAN. I think it was uh, it it was an outreach that that uh, for the regional states made sense given China's rise. So I think he, uh, despite his idea of uh, you know despite the idea that he would be reverting back he was looking inwards which he was in in several cases in the case of indo-pacific in particular we found that he was more uh, engaged with the region uh, and, and there was very subst- and it, it was welcomed in the region compared to what say mr obama was doing so i think we have uh, to look at mr trump's legacy in terms of um, uh, you know in, in terms of more gradation in terms of more nuance uh, than perhaps just saying that uh, Mr. Trump was all about America first. Was Donald Trump as disruptive as he was accused of when becoming president? So I think, uh, like uh, like all American presidents, uh, you know, uh, Mike, his legacy would be uh, would be uh, when we look back, uh, in, um, it, we would find that it's it's a mixed bag. I think uh, on the in the question of disruption in particular, my sense would be that on the multilateral issues, perhaps. Uh, we would see his disruption more vividly, more explicitly than say, than say his predecessors, given that he uh, was very uh, unequivocal in terms of taking uh, America out of certain um, uh, multilateral frameworks like the Paris Accord, for example, or he uh, said things or demanded things from allies and partners, uh, which uh, previous American presidents, and I think Mr. Biden himself would in the future, say more diplomatically or behind closed doors. For example, the whole debate on NATO, uh, you know, the, the the idea of burden sharing, that NATO members should be doing more for, for regional security, for NATO's, um, uh, you know, uh, resilience. Those ideas have been in, in the public domain for a very long time. From We are hearing these debates, we, we have been hearing these debates right from the time of George W. Bush. Uh, and and this, uh, this has been a point of tension between Europe and America. Uh, what? Uh, but Mr. Trump was saying it much more publicly. Uh, he was willing to um, uh, risk uh, relations with closest allies on these questions. Similarly, with Japan and with South Korea in, in, in Asia, he was also willing to uh, be very explicit, demanding more that Japan does more or South Korea does more. Uh, I, and I think this idea that uh, other countries should pitch in has been growing in the, in the uh, American establishment. Uh, and has been there part of the discourse. But Mr. Mr. Trump said it much more undiplomatically, perhaps, and very explicitly. So I think the challenge for uh, future administrations would be to reverse course or, or to uh, build, rebuild ties uh, which have been frayed with closest allies. Uh, but I would very much doubt if they would give up, uh, give up on issues which have been part of American uh, foreign policy establishment uh, for a very long time now. So, yes, in certain areas, uh, he seemed more disruptive than other presidents because he was willing to go an extra mile and challenge uh, some of the long-held foundations of American foreign policy. Uh, but in others, uh, you know, as, as I was discussing in answer to the first question, for example, in the Indo-Pacific, he seemed more of a traditional American president trying to restore American pre- preeminence in the Indo-Pacific. So I think uh, there are, again... Uh, gradations here and and there are again nuances here that one needs to look at when assessing Mr. Trump and his disruptive legacy. What do you think are Donald Trump's greatest achievements on the foreign policy front? I think without any doubt, Mike, uh, I I would say 
you know, reorientation of the China question perhaps will be his uh, most important contribution and his uh, most lasting legacy. Uh, I think he's, uh, you know, he virtually single-handedly changed the discourse on China uh, in the West in particular. I think a lot of the countries like uh, yours and mine that have been living in China's vicinity now, um, you know, and, and have been experiencing a certain kind of an aggression and assertiveness from China, uh, there have been these debates both, uh, you know, in, 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 in Australia, in India, in Japan, in, even in certain ASEAN member states about what uh, China is up to in the region. But I think in the West, uh, and uh, we have seen this attempt uh, to make a case or to, to, uh, to suggest that somehow engaging with China uh, is the only option and it would lead to uh, the kind of outcomes uh, perhaps that they were hoping for, uh, which, are, which are more productive. And I think Mr. Trump, from the very beginning, challenged the very basis of that assumption, arguing that China is not only benefited more from these engagements, that this is not only, uh, you know, a bilateral, uh, you know, this is not only, uh, uh, this lacks, the, the bilateral relationship between America and China lacks reciprocity, but he also challenged China on other issues like trade and technology in ways that uh, perhaps have never been done before. So and but and by the time he, uh, you know, he's, he's leaving office now, it's very clear that the entire consensus in Washington and the consensus in Western capitals in the West, in, in, in Europe, uh, has completely changed. Today, there is a much greater cognizance of the challenge that China poses. And there is a realization that unless China is confronted head on today, perhaps there'll be no tomorrow. So I think that assessment is very important. And Mr. Trump played a very important part in building that consensus because he was challenging China frontally uh, without any guard, without any mincing any words. And I think it, it did two things. It, it sort of reassured a lot of the Indo-Pacific countries with all the other challenges that perhaps America understood finally the challenge that is emerging. Hmm. But it, it also generated uh, in, in Washington in Western capitals, a reassessment, a fundamental recalibration of their China policies. And I think that is going to be perhaps uh, his lasting legacy, uh, even if he does not, uh, you know, come back to power, as he's, uh, uh, even as he does not come back to, to politics, as he's suggesting, uh, by 2024. Look, we're running out of time, but just quickly, uh, Professor, what do you expect with the Biden administration rescuing Obama's legacy or the great global reset favored by wealthy globalists and bureaucrats? Uh, I think um, uh, Mr. Biden uh, will certainly try to uh, resurrect uh, what uh, he perhaps rightly feels that, um, uh, uh, you know, some of the uh, legacy issues of Mr. Obama were uh, discarded by Mr. Trump, and he would try to restore uh, his own vision of a collaborative uh, consensus-based world order. Uh, but I think... The challenge that he would face is that even when the time when he was the vice president, you know, say four years back uh, and today, with the time, the, the, the global order, the global questions have completely changed. And Mr. Trump, uh, you know, whatever he has done in the last few years has also contributed to that. And in some ways, it would be very difficult to restore a status quo ante. Uh, and, and therefore, I, I don't think... Uh, you know, he can go back to those uh, to, to that era of Obama, uh, uh, you know, seamlessly, because there are two things. One, as I said, the world has changed. 
to america has changed the america that mr biden would be leading is is again today very very polarized the questions about america first uh, are not going to go away he himself has said that he would first prioritize american middle classes american manufacturing american industry so clearly you know the the idea that somehow he is going to be the kind of a free trader uh, that uh, mis- you know of of uh, the high point high noon of clintonian internationalism that's not going to happen uh, he will find it very difficult to restore the status quo ante uh, which he has promised partly because a lot of things have happened in between so even something uh, like jcpoa like the iranian nuclear deal for example that mr trump junked uh, it's i'm i'm not so sure how how easy it would be for mr biden to restore it partly because uh, you know in in some ways uh, the challenge for him would be that middle east itself has undergone a dramatic transformation you know the middle east today where israel and saudi arabia seem to be contemplating uh, a normalization is a very different middle east uh, of mr obama and so for mr biden who has again said that he would work with allies and partners how he manages these contradictions uh, would remain a very important part of his legacy uh, and and therefore it may not be very very easy for him to go back to that uh, to that status quo ante but certainly that the direction of his engagement with the world as he put it would be about restoring uh, which he feels that america has lost the edge uh, and he would try to put situate america right at the center of global debates discussions multilateral order uh, and uh, and I, and and i think uh, a lot of uh, a large part of the world would welcome that because we need a leadership at a time uh, from america where leadership seems to be in short supply um but whether he's able to do that on a sustainable basis given the challenges that mr biden faces both at home and abroad again remains to be seen but i think he has uh, he has already indicated that uh, some of the appointments that he has made uh, are more in the traditional mold uh, perhaps indicating his desire you know, to uh, take Amer- to make american foreign policy less unpredictable and more uh, in in tune with some of the long term fundamentals of american foreign policy thinking undoubtedly a few exciting weeks coming up still because we don't know whether trump will end up still being president depends on the courts of course and they uh, toss of a coin almost who knows uh, professor what will happen uh, it certainly makes good reading and uh, appreciate your time uh, this morning thank you mike well it's the thanksgiving day long weekend in mm-hmm. the us and we give thanks to kirk for t- for joining us today yes. uh, after a big ham lunch and that's uh, right and still wearing that horrible mask ah uh, it's it's delightful and you know what i have my doggy ted here who is a senior citizen rescue dog so we really don't know how old he is he's like totally deaf now but i'm having him here just to remind you and all our viewers that yes in just days now 50 okay hang out you got to go see the joe biden dogs at the white house yes you're going to make it till then cuz yes dogs will soon be back at the white house but people say how is it that donald trump doesn't have a pet oh but mike he does it's lindsey gray of the senator from south carolina Yes, he walks among the dolly sure. I, God only knows what Lady G does. You know you're now, ra- you're raising the ire of our uh, producer. 
Why is that, Mike? <laughs> because, and in fact, you're raising, where's my false outrage? You're raising the ire of the host here. I mean, Donald has you, got a pet. He has. Yeah, who? He, who, uh, who on his who? head. It's his hairpiece. <laughs> Oh, Lindsey Graham. I don't know how many viewers know who Lindsey Graham he's is. He's great. He's this, I like yeah, Lindsey right. Graham. I like uh-huh. his, he's wonderful. Uh, Lindsey Graham, watch my lips. Watch, listen to my words. Remind me, if there's a Supreme Court nomination after the primaries have started, we will not hold a hearing on who's on the mm. Supreme Court and what ruling did we have. We had her vote, Amy Coney Barrett's vote reverse the vote of the now departed Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the Supreme Court has now ruled that hey no problem religious institutions you know we have a church here no kidding that classifies as a church here in Las Vegas Penn Teller of Penn and Gillette uh, Penn and Teller fame is Penn that's not his name Penn, yes it is Penn Gillette <laughs> where are you these guys so Make sense. I'm having a little tryptophan <laughs> coma after eating so much you have to excuse me but Penn of Penn and Teller actually has been involved with uh, this organization it's called the Church of Bacon and the reason it's called it's here in Las Vegas it's an accredited church and the reason it's called the Church of Bacon is because bacon is real and you can believe in bacon but uh now I lost my train of thought. We no, might have to start the whole show over. No, 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 we don't. You know what? The but here's the thing. Here's the thing. The Church of Bacon. Yeah. You think they were just hamming it up? Oh, <laughs> that's very good. Oh, now I know what I was talking about here. Amy Cody Barrett. The Supreme Court ruled that you could have as many people to your religious services as you want. So they could have had now, based on the Supreme Court ruling, ten thousand people go to the T-Mobile Center, and they'd be serving them lots of bacon, and there's nothing the government could do about it. So here you've got religious organizations suing the government so they can bring people to super spreader events. It's kind of crazy, but that's where we are. And the fact is Trump will, even though here Thanksgiving Day when we're uh, videoing this, he's in the White House saying, uh, you know, massive fraud. I clearly won. I mean, this guy just won't let up. And you say, well, you know, a lot of his supporters believe him. Look at his record. He claimed massive fraud when he didn't win an Emmy in 2005 when Ted Cruz beat him in the Iowa primary back in the 20, early part. I would have been uh, February of 2016. Oh, massive fraud. This guy, I mean, it's going to be a wild ride. And, of course, you had the pardon there of uh, Michael Flynn, who not, not once, twice, twice, said, I'm guilty. I lied to the FBI about my dealings with Russia. Now he is pardoned. So who knows how many more are going to benefit from Trump's pardon pen before this is over, including perhaps his former campaign manager, Paul Manafort. So uh, there are more to come. Mm. This is going to be a wild 50 days or so that we have. And uh, Trump has now alluded that he'll leave the White House if the Electoral College uh, confers the presidency on Joe Biden. And that would happen on December the 14th. All certification issues should be done by December the 8th, my birthday. By the way, we need to acknowledge this segment of Asia Pacific Today is sponsored by Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. I just thought I I would mention that bit. Uh, but but and I see again. I've let the monster out of the uh, out of the uh, the bag there. He, look at it. He's very excited about Joe Biden and come on now. Joe Biden, Kurt. 
Joe Biden may have the shortest presidency on record uh, because he'll end up suffering back pain uh, because, of course, the knives will be out to remove him, to install the very left agenda. And look, I mean, to back that up, back to the future with Washington, uh, the returning to the Obama days with their favourites, the uh, insider deal-making, and we mustn't forget the fawning press. Well, we shall see. Uh, one thing's for sure. Uh, Ms. Harris, the vice president. Is it Kamala Madam, or Camilla? It's comma, like the you use a comma in a sentence. Comma and la, so Kamala. Kamala. And what she did, she had a great, I'm going to uh, send you the video, so you might be able to insert it here. You have Kamala Harris. She knows how to cook. She, for her mic check for a show on MSNBC this week, she gave her recipe for cooking that holiday turkey. And I mean, I, I, just, I love her personality and the fact that I agree with her on many issues. You know, it's funny because you mentioned these things, Mike, but a lot on the left, they think uh, they're not that big of fans of the vice president-elect because of her work when she was prosecutor in uh, San Francisco, in Oakland, I believe, one of those uh, North Bay cities. She's from Oakland, so I think it was Oakland. Uh, but then she became the attorney general. So some of her prosecutorial, prose- easy, easy for me to say on Thanksgiving, prosecutorial <laughs> temperament and the fact, see, I got it out. I got it out. Prosecur- <laughs> prosecutorial temperament. Say that uh, three because times. She, prosecutorial 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 there you go uh see thanks and then she went on to become of course california's attorney general Mm. before being elected to the senate in 2016 because it was too harsh they say that she was too harsh on criminals and didn't cut them enough of a deal so it's really funny because the left is very intense and there are a lot of folks on the extreme left that aren't that happy about things that are going on because there is a centrist cabinet that's been put in place. And a lot of people are saying, oh, my gosh, it's going to be so boring. And then people are like, yeah, that's what we were. You know, even me, I'm ready for waking up and not seeing what what Donald Trump has tweeted. And, oh, you know, I'm sure it's changed a little by the time you see this. But I was just looking, scrolling through his Twitter feed. It's just crazy. And I don't understand. I still really have a difficult time understanding how people can be comfortable and confident going to bed with their pets and their children at night, realizing that Donald Trump is president and that I have a real hard time. And I think this is something that sociologists will have to study going forward. Still, how in the world this man got so many votes, although he's now claiming that, uh, you know, there's no way, no way Biden got 80 million votes. And I think the important thing that needs to be remembered here when you have Trump claiming all this fraud and disingenuous activity taking place, if it was a rigged election, oh, boy, did the Democrats do a terrible job at it. Speaking of Lady G, Lindsey Graham, the senior senator from South Carolina. Love him. He's great. He's great. Yeah, yeah, right. He uh, took Strom Thurmond's place. And Strom Thurmond, there's a lot of bad things you could say about him. But His at least name, he had first gra- of all. Strom, yeah. <laughs> Strom. But at least the guy had gravitas. I mean, I met him a couple of times. I met him when I was a young man in the 70s. And then I met him again uh, about 20 years later 
in the 90s. And I want to know what he was doing because he did not, not age at all between the 70s and the 90s. He looked the same way at 75 as he did at 95. And he still he stayed in the Senate until he was over 100 years old. Mm. It basically became his nursing home. And there are a lot of senators that are that old or getting close to that. You've got Chuck Grassley from Iowa, who's 87 years old now. You've got, you've but, got, uh, yeah. but you've got uh, also Joe Biden. He's up there with him. Oh, my gosh, Joe just had. Did you send him a birthday card? His birthday was November 20th. He forgot. He turned uh, he seven, forgot. 78 he, he years forgot. old. He forgot. No, but, but I think, Joe, it, it's going to be a situation where he is the man in charge, but he has people not tell him like Trump what he wants to hear. He'll have people that tell him what he needs to hear to make the appropriate decisions. I think he's got a great staff already. Tony Bilkin, who has uh, appointed to be uh, Secretary of State, had an amazing tale the other day about his stepfather, who was a Holocaust survivor, uh, talking about uh, what he said when the American tank came to liberate him when he was liberated from the uh, concentration camp. So it's really a touching story. You can tell that this is somebody that cares about people, not just America, but people around the world. So there's going to be a whole new tone and tenor in the State Department. I think that's going to be the case for a lot of administrations. Mm. And, you know, hey, 78 that's the new 65. Joe's going to be okay. I am not worried. I watched Look, part of his uh, address, Thanksgiving address to the nation yesterday. He runs like the um, the Thunderbirds. Have you seen him run? Like It's like the Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds go. But in Joe's case, uh, what's the Thunderbirds? Who am I? The, thun- Joe, the Thunderbirds. Joe's. Yeah, yeah. The Thunderbirds, by the way, are based here in Las Vegas. They're the U.S. Air Force uh, demonstration. Yeah, but these team. are different Thunderbirds. Air- so these are these pilots. Oh, oh I I'm not familiar. I'm familiar with the Thunderbirds that fly high in the sky over our house <laughs> here in fabulous Las Vegas, but uh, not, uh, not the other. Look, I was just, um, as I scratched my nose on camera, I was just actually oh, scratching great. my no nose. Problem. All class acting. I don't but I here's don't know the where thing. I am someday. <laughs> some days. Um, but here's the thing. Here's, here's the thing, though. I mean, because you're talking about Joe Biden and being yeah. uh, making the right decision because he gets she the right information. But I have he, this dog that but, is all wet. Yeah. Look at that dog. All wet. Coming up to get me. Go away, dog. That's a nice dog, but she's like a mess. Look, I was saying something quite pertinent here, Kirk, and I've been disturbed. I've been I've been kicked out, moved sideways because of a dog. Yeah, a, right. Go and ahead. a very nice talk. But I was just thinking about Joe Biden, yes. and he's mm-hmm. going to make the right decisions because he'll be given the right advice. Right. Look, as you were saying that, I just realized that the Church of Bacon is actually, must be down the road from where we broadcast, because as you were saying that, talking about Joe Biden making the right decision because he has the right information, I saw right. these pigs fly by, and I thought, wow, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just intrigued. Miracles! Miracles happen every day. But look at Wall Street. Donald, man, he did not waste a beat. Mm. He did not waste a beat getting out there with the Dow. <laughs> that was kind of funny. When the Dow crossed 30,000. Oh, I did this. We've had this record mm. 94 times or something in my administration. And that must have been the shortest amount of time he'd been out in the uh, Brady briefing room at the White House. I think he was on stage on the dais for about one minute and six seconds and of course didn't take questions finally though taking those questions today and says he'll leave but it's just a continual undermining mm. of uh, faith in the electoral system and you know what you got to remember i was talking earlier we got the sidetracked which gee happens to be sometimes but if he's going to claim 
that this was a disingenuous, that this was a fraudulent election, then that means the down-ballot candidates are illegitimately elected, too. Uh, people like Mitch McConnell, we mentioned Lindsey Graham a number of times, John Cornyn, the senator in Texas, Joni Ernst in Iowa, Susan Collins in Maine, all those folks that were reelected. But were they really? Was it an election fraud? Mm. The uh, Democratic congressman from Salt Lake City, a rare Democrat in Utah, he was defeated in a very close race. Now, is that fraud? We have a race in Iowa in the second congressional district in Iowa, where the Republican right now is leading by 39 votes, 39 out of about 400,000 cast. Wow. So if you're going to believe Donald's claim, is that fraud? Is that fraud? What's only, going on? Only in so, four states. And we know the states. Oh, they've, got, they've, they've got history. But look, that's another story. We could, I mean, I think, I think though, all this will be put to bed. Losing my way. light in the wind. Losing my light in the wind. Hold on. i got to put a weight. You go ahead and talk. I will try to. No, no, no. You, 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 you be the uh, the grip on set. There he is. Yes. That's I don't great. have any weight. Here, hold on. i got to put some weight on it. We'll That's take it. one of our deflated pool floats it's from the, inflated from the summer. pool this floats. They call those shark. other names. It's a, it's a shark. It's a giant shark. And we put it on the, on the light stand. Yeah. Because we just love this sort of broadcasting. I actually, cracked, I actually cracked a light last time. I don't know where I'll get the new bulb from, but it lasted a long time. Oh my I'm good goodness. with it. The it, it things see, I do. This is the new show for Home Show. It's called Politics and Home Show. And what <laughs> it means is right. that we talk politics and then we wreck the furniture. Is that right? Oh, we have Santa. It's a beautiful. Isn't this beautiful? You we know, should, we you should know. do the next show. We we need to do the oh next show. Gosh, it's so windy. We, we, we need to. It's it's the skipper too, and but we need we need as I'm as I'm my head's looking at the uh, producer here going what WTF. We need to do the next show as we wind this up because you're about to get blown away by Hurricane Iniki. We need to do the next show, please, please. We need to do the next show, five times I've said that, from the front where, where that decorations are with the, with the right, red well, you, door. I'll- uh, yes, and I, I've said you. Well, show them now. Show them what our front door looks like, Mike. You've okay. got the picture. Okay. This, All right. Look, that's this, his front door. Isn't no, no, that that's, amazing? What, Isn't the, that true? That's, I mean, look, you see what Kirk does in his spare time? He makes baskets. Well, actually, he, he weaves baskets other days. No, and he no. puts up Christmas decorations. Well, you know, you you've, you might have seen Skype, Skype by, uh, I don't know, rate by Skype room. Yes. They uh, rate people's looks. We have gotten, with two set changes before, we've gotten 10 out of 10 wow. from rate by Skype room. So we'll try another one with this. With we'll, now, we'll do the next one from the decor. front. We'll do it from the front gate. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, we, uh, we have, that would be interesting. <laughs> that would be. Look, exciting times. I think the next week. It is. The next week and a half. Um, uh, we have all these all these lawsuits happening. Uh, oh, pr- probably let me tell you what Trump's record is. Trump's record is one and thirty eight now in court. It's just amazing. He's trying to stop the certification of the votes in Pennsylvania. And here's what the governor there, Tom Wolf, said about these efforts. They got a, a, a co-conspirator, a Commonwealth Court judge, which is a fairly low level judge in Pennsylvania, name is Patricia McCollum, to try to block the certification. She's going to have a hearing. 
Maybe by the time you see this, it'll be on Friday, our time. Here's what the governor in Pennsylvania said. Since the birth of our nation nearly 250 years ago, no court has ever issued an order purporting to interfere with a state's ascertainment of its presidential election until today. That's what they said. And the state Supreme Court mm. in Pennsylvania, the state Supreme Court, will certainly allow that certification to go forward. So the bottom line, whether Trump likes it or not, it's a flip of what we had in 2016. Exactly the same mm. numbers, except for the Democrats. Joe Biden, 306. Donald Trump, let's play the world's tiniest violin for Donald. <laughs> Donald, 232. No, I, 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 hope, I hope Joe and Kamala We'll autograph one of these for Donald. He can put it up in his well, in with his Kamala may be able to. Joe, he may not know how to, but you know it's another story about Joe. And you, you, you've got to see the you've got to see the TV series Thunderbirds from Thunderbirds. from the nineteen sixties. Ted, they I, know, were, I, know, I know they talk crazy talk. You have to be quiet just for a minute. Yes, from the 1960s? Children. Look, yes. we'll, we'll wind this up. I'm, being, I'm, I'm, I'm just being showed up by the dogs. Uh, Kirk Clyde and the dogs from Las yes. Vegas, from uh, Information City. Uh, thank you very much. That's right. And, and, hey, I'd love to have you. If you made it this far, thank you. You're, 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 I don't know what you are. You're, you're a... a, a Ted, Ted, I know, we're about done. Bye-bye. You're a glutton for punishment, but if you want even more, if this wasn't enough for you, follow me on Twitter. Ted does. Ted follows me on Twitter. It's at Client, C-L-Y-A-T-T, just my last name, at Client. Love to have you aboard. Ted, it's okay, babe. Ted. I know, Mike Ryan, he's he's just got to bark at him after a while. Thank you, Ted. Thank you, Kirk. Say goodbye. Goodbye, Mike. Well, that's it for Asia Pacific Today, Friday, November 27, 2020. Have a great weekend in the US. Have a great Thanksgiving Day long weekend. I'm Mike Ryan.